Folks, welcome to the CoreLink Solution, where we give you awareness and actionable insights to help you go farther, faster in your career entrepreneurial journey. Today, I have with me someone who's had his journey. And if you ever think about making a comeback in your life when you believe you failed, how have you thought about it? Not only when you believe others may have given up on you, but when you have given up on yourself. Just think about that for a second. Beyond what others have think, beyond when folks are not liking you anymore or retweeting you anymore or saying what's up on Instagram and not hitting you on LinkedIn. But when you've actually hit rock bottom and you don't even believe in yourself, you don't believe your mom might return your phone call. How do you come back from something like that? My next guest, Nate Dukes, will share his story from the lows of addiction and grand theft to recovering and motivating others. Nate, welcome to The Coiling Solution, my friend. Listen, that was an incredible intro, man. I am super, super excited to be here. Uh, I got to tell you beforehand, I've done a deep dive into this podcast and I've actually become a fan of the show. That's what like, I'm talking I, I about. I really love this That's show. That's what I'm talking so about. To be on the other side of it, this is actually a really cool experience for me. So thanks for having me here. No, man. Thank you. Thank you. And and I said so much just in your intro, bro. Before we go into that, what's one thing? Because, you know, your book is really transparent, hyper transparent, bro. And yeah. thank you for that. That's one of the things that drew me in and uh, made me want to do this interview. And by the way, for folks listening, like I went through three quarters of Nate's book. OK, three quarters. OK, so I, I know Nate already. So, yeah, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> what's one thing you can share with this audience that you believe you haven't shared with those even closest to you? So something that I haven't even shared closest to me that they're so as, as confident as I come off yeah. as excited as I can be as passionate as I will sound in this conversation. Yep. There's a deep insecurity. There's a little kid on the inside mm. of me that feels like, am I doing the right thing? Is this going to work? Are people going to find out that you're just faking through this whole thing, that imposter mm, syndrome that sure. we all deal with? That's still real. That's still inside of me that I, um, I, I, I say this all the time, is that people who are successful, they are not immune to the ups and downs, the emotional tolls that success will take on you. They've just found a way to overcome it. Absolutely. And so I deal with the same emotional uh, warfare that you maybe deal with on an everyday basis. Brother, that's a word right there. Two follow-up questions. Are there any particular things that trigger those feelings of imposter syndrome? Yeah. And man. then two, what have you found most helpful to persist through it? Yeah. So uh, listen, uh, anytime that you do have anything of significance, you're always going to attract people who come against you, who have negative things to say. We call these people Haters, okay? Um, haters are actually a sign of significance. Yes. So reference any YouTube video that has more than a million views. You are going to see the comment section that is just filled with people who have nothing uh, but terrible things to say about it. And so understanding that as you continue to move forward, as you continue to create and build and really change your life, and it, it might not be people on the internet it might be people that are closest to you. It yes. might be the friends and family who've gotten accustomed to a version of you that doesn't exist anymore. And so now these people are coming up against you. And so just understand haters are a sign of significance. And I'll tell you, man, I get I get hate all the time. I mean, even people from my past who yes. man, I, I, I wish nothing but the best for them. But I, I got a comment the other day 
um, that just said, uh, he's the biggest con man I've ever met in my life. Mm, and dude, mm. like when, when you hear that, you just, it hits to your core because I've really committed my life now to helping more people than I'll ever hurt yes. to, to giving more than I'll ever take. And I just, I feel bad because that person knows part of me, a, a version of me that just doesn't exist. Right. And, you know, I've given that person every reason in my past mm. to look at me and think that my prayer is one day that we will go on a journey of restoration and, and he can see past the things that I've done to who I am now. Mm. And so part of that, I, I to answer the second part of your question, what I found to help me with that is reminding myself on a daily basis of why I do this. I have to continually put my why in front of me. Absolutely. I am not responsible for how people respond to what I do. I am responsible for the dream that has been placed on the inside of me. Mm. And so I'm going to continue to push that forward. I'm going to continue to work really hard to give my family the life that I never had, to give my future self a life that I know he deserves. And so that means me starting from the bottom, me building my life back brick by brick, me willing to be uncomfortable. You know, Tim Ferriss said that everything that we want in life is on the other side of an uncomfortable conversation. Absolutely. So I'm willing to get uncomfortable, maybe even com uncomfortable conversations with myself. Maybe I'm going to get real with myself for the first time in a really long time. And so through all of that, I have to continually to put that why in front of me because there's going to yeah. be days that suck. That's so good. You Two know, there, aren't good. Yeah, there's go ahead. so much in what you just said. It, we got to get to the questions, but but I want to unpack some of the things you just said. Um, one, this this point around haters, man, is so important. Um, I mentioned to you right before we started, I've been doing a thing called Success Thought of the Day for over 20 years. And yeah. I did a thing on haters, believe it or not, man, uh, almost three weeks ago. And I said, let's change the acronym of haters. Okay. H-A-T-E-R. Change it to helping activate the efforts required. Yes. Okay? You need people sometimes who draw something out of you. And so whether they draw an emotion of anger, the emotion and spirit of competitiveness, the emotion and spirit of how the heck can this person do this to me? Whatever that is, right? Think about hater again as helping activate the effort required whatever it requires you to do to muster up and get going oh you're dude, you're firing me up right now and so the, <laughs> the, the tagline to my book is create your comeback and prove them wrong and i don't listen i i don't know i'm not claiming that i have everything figured out there might be some like deep counseling that i need to go through <laughs> right but right. i love when somebody tells me you can't do it yes I love yes. when somebody tells me that you shouldn't do it or you won't be able to or you don't have the right pedigree or you didn't right. come from the right family or you messed up too much. Right. I love it because I love on the back end, not rubbing it in their face, but this subtle feeling of like, you know what? It doesn't matter what anybody else says. That's I can right. accomplish something if I'm willing to put the work, the effort and the energy into it. Absolutely. Then the second thing you said, well, let me sandwich it with something. I'm going to question you a little bit because I don't know if I totally agree with you. This piece of I'm not responsible for how they respond. Right. And I'm going to tell you why I push back a little bit. Yeah, when you it. grow up in cells, right. One of the things you always say in cells is it's not what you say. It's what they hear. Yeah. Right. How do you flip that to feel comfortable with saying, man, I can't I can't be responsible for how how they respond. When I talk about not being responsible for how they respond, it's in reference to me trying to repair the damage of my past. Mm, so mm. when I talk about this, um, it, it really comes down to like making amends with other people. So a lot of times when you're trying to fix a problem, especially one that you've caused, yeah. 
some people aren't ready for that. Yeah. They're, they're not ready to hear from you at all because they're, they're still dealing with hurt yes. and pain. And I can't be responsible for how someone's going to respond to that. But what I can be responsible for is making sure my side of the street stays clean. Yeah. So that means at least attempting, at least trying, at least putting it out there to try and say, hey, when you are ready, I'll be here waiting. Love it. Love it. And then the other piece you said is so well said and, and so well taken, at least for me. Um, people who aren't ready to reconcile that version no longer exists. The version that they knew, you know, it made me just think about like, we all have mobile phones today. Think about the first version, right? The big black phone, right? The big bag phone, right? It's like, I'm not that anymore. You don't have to carry that bag, right? I'm, I'm an iPhone 12 or whatever, whatever your choice of phone is. And how different is that? So get to know who I am. Um, I love that, man. I love that psychologists will say that we will become a new person every seven years. Mm. And I've got to even remember that with my wife, man, is that in seven years, she's going to be a completely different woman that I have to learn how to love in a different way. And so I just have to be willing to understand that some people know me from a different life and that's okay, man. And I have, I have grace for that and I have understanding for that. And I actually have a lot of respect for that. So one, one thing is clear. You and I cannot go on a speaking tour together because people, (laughs) people will never get out of there. What are we going back and forth? People will never get out. Okay. So let's, let's come down to the book, brother. Talk about two things real quick. Um, What made you write this book and, and even the title of the book, how you arrived at that title. So they say a good book is the conversation that you have over and over and over again. And for me, one of the cool things that I get to do now is help other people who who feel like, man, my life is just too messy to change mm. um, or or I don't have the self-confidence to change or or maybe I've never thought of what a vision for my future can look like. And so I get to help people essentially create their own comeback. I do some coaching, I do some mentoring. And so what I've done is I've compacted the principles that I've used to start from the bottom, to create my own comeback and prove those negative voices wrong. I've used that in conjunction with my story. So each chapter has a part of my story and then a practical application attached to it with at the very end of each chapter has a comeback challenge. And I did this intentionally because information by itself changes nobody. So if information changed people, we'd all be rich and skinny. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't. It's the action that we place behind the information that we've been given. And so I've used this book as really a tool and a catalyst to really help propel people into the next stage of their life. And, And so the reason why I wrote it is because I'm only one person and my voice carries only so far. And so this is something that I can now hand to somebody, a physical, tangible object that I can say here, this will be a blueprint for you to move on to the next stage. One of the the things you do in the book, just like you said, I love the, I love the story. I love the challenges. I love how deep you go, but I also love some of the key phrases you use that to me are really memorable. And I don't know if you did that on purpose or they just came out of you as you were writing, but there's some key phrases. One is, and, and maybe we start here because I think it starts with the story, just like in the intro, how, how, how do you go from such lows of addiction and grand theft to recovery and motivating others. One of the things you said is, you know, being in the wrong place and the wrong headspace. And you really focused on that. Talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah. So um, when I went to college at age 18, I was really trying to not better myself, but I was really trying to escape the chaos of my childhood. And so instead of focusing a lot on studying, I actually found myself being introduced to the party scene and having a whole lot of fun. That's where I was introduced to drugs and alcohol for the very Mm. first time. And and now all of a sudden, these two things are competing with each other, right? I'm trying to go to class, but I'm also trying to party all the time. And I started taking prescription ADD medication. And all of a sudden, I felt like Superman and I was hyper-focused. And what started out as a weekend experience turned into a full-blown drug addiction at Mm. age 19, Mm. 20, and 21. And then from there, I managed after four years to come nowhere close to graduating. So I had to move back in with my parents. Um, through a series of events, uh, a friend of mine wanted to open up a bar and restaurant in downtown Youngstown, Ohio. And he asked me if I wanted to be involved. And this really touched on the entrepreneur that was on the inside of me, but it also touched on this like party guy, this right. party lifestyle that I've fallen in love with. And uh, so we took what was a failing business in the beginning and we turned it into something that was massively successful successful over the course of two years. So now I have access to more money than I've ever seen in my life. Now, this wasn't a, uh, like a life changing amount of money, just being the poor kid growing up. It felt like the world to me. So I have a nice car. I've got the right apartment with high rise ceilings. I'm in social settings that I would have never had access to before. And I thought all of this stuff would make me happy. I thought that once I had all of these things that I would finally be fulfilled. And I found out that I was actually really empty on the inside still. And that's when the drug addiction really started to ramp up. And I started going to the casino and I started gambling and I wasn't even addicted to the money anymore. It was just the high that I would get from being in the casino. And I ended up gambling most of what I had away. So I had to sell my car. My bank accounts were empty. But even though my personal accounts were low, the business bank accounts were still full. Mm. And I started taking from them and I started siphoning money off, moving it around. At that time, I guess I thought to myself, well, geez, aren't I the business owner? Isn't this my money anyways? Well, you can't take business money and use it for personal investments. That's actually called embezzlement. And so here I am taking money from my own business to feed this drug and gambling addiction that I have. And we had, uh, we had several employees who worked for us and it was payday. And my business partner came up to me and he said, Nate, it's time to cut the checks for everybody. And I just came clean in that moment. I said, if we write these checks, there's not going to be enough money in the accounts to cover them. And you could see the confused look on his face. He was frustrated. He was upset. And then it all finally caught up with him. He realized that I had taken the payroll money the night before Mm. and I gambled it all away. And uh, he gave me an ultimatum at this point. He said, you can either sign this business over to me and walk away free and clear, or I'm going to get lawyers involved and I'm going to press charges. And Mm. so at age 26, I signed over what was my life's work at that point. And I I, I was lost. I didn't know what my identity was. It was wrapped up in being a business owner. When I didn't have that, I didn't know who I was anymore. I moved back in with my parents. I could hardly hold down a job. I would work at a restaurant somewhere as a server, but that would resort back to what I knew, which was taking things. So I'd, I'd take from the cash register, I'd get caught and I'd get fired. And finally, the last time that I got fired from a job, I was walking around my parents' apartment complex. It was three in the morning. I'd just taken a handful of pills um, and I was walking around to different vehicles trying to see if any of them were unlocked to see if I could find anything I could take or anything that I could sell. I ended up opening up the center console to a 1999 Buick LeSabre. And as I, I opened up the center console, I pulled out the spare keys to this car. 
because uh, apparently that's where you keep the spare keys to a 99 Buick with Sabre. <laughs> um, um, but, but there I was in this moment, I thought to myself, maybe this is a chance to run away from my problems. Mm. Maybe this is a chance mm. to get away. I don't know if you've ever tried to run away from your problems before, but what we find is that oftentimes they run just as fast as we do mm -hmm. because it's not our surroundings that's the issue. Usually it's us. And so this is where that quote comes in. Yeah. I didn't wake up that day thinking to myself, today's the day that I steal a car. But when you find yourself in the wrong place with the wrong headspace, you never know what is possible. And there I was, I was in the wrong place and I was definitely in the wrong headspace. And through that, I was desperate and I, I was desperate enough to do something stupid. You know, one of the things I recall, maybe this has changed since the publishing of the book was that this former partner of yours has not been able to forgive you yet. And you guys have not been able to reconcile yet. Has that changed? So the book came out June 1st. Um, I know that he has gotten the book in his hands um, and we still have yet to have that that connection or that, that conversation yet. Uh, I tried reaching out to him uh, when I first got out of jail and I was really trying to change my life yeah. and he just wasn't ready for it then. And, you know, I honestly, I don't blame him at all. Um, I don't know that I would have been ready either. Yeah. And so um, I, I'm just, I'm just believing that uh, over the next few months, few years, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do my part. And I just hope that he's ready one day. And if not, that's something that I'll have to live with. These are the consequences of my actions. And so I've got to eat the fruit of the seeds that I planted. I, I planted that harvest and now I have to live with that. Well said, well said. Well, we'll be sending thoughts and prayers your way for reconciliation, man. You, you just mentioned this a little bit, which is this whole internal versus external focus. And I'll quote something you said, stop focusing on the surroundings and start focusing on yourself. How did you come to that realization? Yeah, so it's anytime you want to change something, right? There's a moment of excitement. There's a moment of passion. There's something that fires you up and you say, all right, I'm ready to take on ABC, whatever it is, I'm going to change it. And then you sit back and you look around and you go, how the freak is that going to happen? Yeah. There is, there's no way I, I, I'm not the right guy for it. My life isn't ready or, or people say things like this. I'll do it when, and yeah. you can insert any excuse in there when this happens or when I get a raise or, 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 or when things turn around for me. And so I've just gotten passionate about saying, I want to remove every potential excuse from my life. Mm. Usually it's my surroundings. Usually I'll look at my life and say, well, I mean, I'm not there yet. So once I get a level of success, then, then I'll try harder. And so instead of focusing on everybody else and everything around me, I've just chosen to say, how can I focus on me? And when I got out of jail, I really committed myself to becoming the best version of me. I, I just, I committed to one year of my life saying, I'm going to try for one year to become the best friend that I can be to the best, uh, son that I can be? How can I become the best spiritual person financially? How can I become the best emotionally and mentally? How can I become the best? Because the truth is, is that I can always go back to the way that I was before. I can always go back to making poor decisions and bad mistakes, but I didn't know what my life could look like if I compounded some really great decisions over a year. Mm -hmm. And so in order to do that though, I had to go on a journey of healing on the inside and not so much worrying around about what everybody else said, because there was a moment in my life when I had made some significant changes on the inside, but nobody around me had seen it yet. Yeah. My life just wasn't there. My, my life hadn't caught up to who I was yet. Yeah. And so I had to stay focused on the internal work 
and eventually the exterior work began to happen. What caused you to start that internal journey? Because I think that's that's a key point. You know, to your point, you have the business partnership. You're starting to live the life. You find out, man, this is this is fleeting. This is not satisfying me. So you yeah. do these different things. You hit these lows. You go to jail. I'm sure you lose a lot of relationships. What was the moment that it yep. clicked and said, I have to make a fundamental change in my life? What what was that moment? Yeah. So, uh, so I, so we'll back up. So I, I stole this car. I'm getting ready to drive it across the country because I have a friend who lives in Houston, Texas. And he says, Nate, if you ever find a way to get down here, I'll help you get back on your feet. Yeah. So, uh, I, I load up five garbage bags of clothes and I, I head for Houston, Texas. I get halfway right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. It was a small town called Ashland city and it was mm. right in Cheatham County. And I had pulled into a gas station there because I'd been up for three days at that point and I just wanted to get some sleep. And so I pulled into a gas station, I closed my eyes, and then I was woken up at uh, 9 a.m. by three really loud bangs on the driver's side window. And a stranger's hand reaches into the car, pulls me out, mm. it puts me into handcuffs, and places me back of the cop car. And the weight of every decision that I made sat on my chest like a ton of bricks. And this thought kept replaying in my mind. It was the same thought that my business partner told me. It was the same thought that people that I had hurt told me. But I found that the, the loudest voices are oftentimes the ones that are in our own head. And so here I am with this voice running around my own head that's saying, you'll never change. This is who you are. This is your life now. And so they took me to Cheatham County Jail where I spent six months of my life. And so it was a pod style facility. And the only way to get out was once a month, they offered something called church service. Mm. Now at that time, I was not interested in going to church, but I was interested in getting out of that pod. And so we walked down this long hallway and off the left-hand side, there was a cinder block room with 16 folding chairs set up. And we walked in and we were some ugly looking dudes at this point, man. Our, our, our hair was grown out. Our beards were a mess. Orange is not a great color on any man. Right. And so uh, we're sitting in there and this really, really old guy walks in and he pulls out this really, really old guitar and he starts to tune it up. And as mm. he tunes it, he says, fellas, the only difference between me and you is I never got caught. And mm. he starts to sing the song, Amazing Grace. And it goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I look around the room, man, and I, I see guys who are criminals, guys who have hurt people. They've taken advantage of others with tears streaming down their face. And and they were they were crying hard, man. They were ugly white girl drunk crying, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's hard to describe this moment because I wasn't really worried about my past, the things that I had done wrong. I wasn't worried about my future. When am I going to get out of here? But this overwhelming sense of peace sat on me. Hmm. And that weight began to lift off my chest. And I just thought to myself, man, if it is possible to change, I want to. Because this is not the life that I want to live anymore. This is not who I want to be. And so when I got out of jail, uh, they gave me a felony theft over 1,000 because you're not allowed to steal cars and drive them across the country. Um, But uh, when I got out, I got, I got, I got obsessed with personal development. How do you create sustainable change? Mm -hmm. Because I tried to change in the past and it didn't work, but I'd seen other people change, man. And I'll tell you, I didn't think that they were smarter than me. I didn't think that they were luckier than me. And and so I wanted to figure out why. And I, I got a hold of a John Maxwell book that said, if you want your world to change, 
you've got to be the one that changes first. And so I really latched onto that principle and that idea. And I said, well, if anything's going to change, I don't have control about the, or, of the world around me. But man, I can't control how I react, how I respond, the habits that I have, the things that I do, the thoughts that I struggle with. Uh, I, I can I can take control of the relationship that I have with myself, mm-hmm. and so from there, uh, that was really the catalyst. That was the moment for me that said, "Okay, we're going to figure out how do we change." Mm-hmm. Man, what an emotional moment, spiritual moment in that room. Yeah, yeah, it was very spiritual, man. And I I look back on that, and I'm so thankful for it because I, I don't. Some people call it luck. Some people call it karma. I just personally choose to believe that it was God's grace on Mm -hmm. my life that was Mm -hmm. guiding me in that moment. And it was undeserved, unmerited favor on my life that that now I choose to lean into that grace in everything that I do. Well said. Undeserved, unmerited. Well said. So now with the book, so people have a good understanding that, you know, you've got an incredible story, but a story that has a, um, let's call it a template inside of it, right? That a lot of people, unfortunately, will go through different shades of challenges, so on and so forth, and maybe not to the same degree as you have, or further, right? They feel like, oh, I'm past that. Yeah. Talk about now the the road to recovery. What what would you consider the required elements of the comeback, right? Because we'll never be able to cover all of them. But if you had to say, man, focus on these three things, yep. if you're going to make your comeback, what would those three things be? So first of all, the biggest question that I get is, Nate, how do I make my comeback? And so I'll tell you, your comeback will look different than mine. We're two different people. We have two different life experiences. And so I don't want to give you a cookie cutter version. Mm -hmm. But what I can do is I can give you principles that I have followed that help serve me in that season of my life. And so the first thing that I always say is you got to have a vision. You have to have a very clear vision of your future and what you want out of life. And, and when you start to ask people this question of like, what do you want your life to look like? They give you very generic answers, mostly because they've never really thought of it. And uh, only be, they'll say things like, uh, I just want to be happy. Uh, I just want my kids taken care of. I just want the bills to be paid. And while intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with those. Those are actually really good things. Um, they are not specific enough. And so until we get very clear on what we want out of life, we'll never actually achieve it. And so if you want to go to an airport right now and you want to fly on an airplane, they will gladly sell you a ticket. But is it anywhere that you actually want Mm. to go? Mm. And so until Mm. we take control of our futures, there will always be somebody else to give us direction on what it should look like. And so I ask people questions like, what do you want people to say about you when you leave the room? Yeah. What do you want your legacy to look like? What do you want to pass down to the next generation? I mean, if we want to get very specific, you can start to ask questions of like financially, where do you want to be? How much money do you want to make? But I also like asking questions like, what do you want your interpersonal relationships Mm, to look like? mm, mm. Do you want them to be draining or do you want them to be life-giving? What kind of fulfillment activities do you want to have included with for you for the rest of your life? And so um, once you have a vision, now here's the, the hard part. You have to start to add your decisions in. Uh, contrary to popular belief, what we do every single day, absolutely, it matters. Absolutely. And so the little decisions that we make over a long period of time can create massive results in our life. Our decisions can determine our destiny. And if you want a new life, start making some new decisions. Absolutely. And here's the hardest part. So you have a vision, you add in your decisions, 
I wish I had a life hack for this. I really do. I wish I had like a cheat code or something that I could give you. But once you have all of this, you have to multiply it by time. And the hardest four-letter word any of us are ever going to hear is wait. And so if you feel like you have a vision and you're starting to make the right decisions, but you're not seeing the change that you want, I would just encourage you, man, lean into letting this last. I don't know if you've ever had a microwave burrito before. It's not that good. It's 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 just okay. <laughs> right. But there's something special about barbecue that's been roasting or slow cooking all yeah. day long, or something yes. in the crock pot. Yes. There's something valuable. There's something special about a process, and time has the ability to change things that maybe you can't right now. So yeah. lean into this idea of some of this stuff. It's going to take some serious time. Yeah, no, that's good. You focus a lot on consistency and weight. And so I wasn't surprised to hear that as one of the things. Um, so so clear vision of your future with level of specificity. I love that example of, yeah, don't just walk in the airport and buy a ticket. You need to know where you want to go. Uh, and I would even say beyond the state to the city level, county level, right? Where you want to go? What, what's the address? Where are you going? Um but then that thing about the decisions, man, the daily habits. And I talk a lot about habits and my different uh, communications that anything you're building, you're building brick by brick. Yeah, man. Every decision is a brick. Either you're as a brick to add to the cathedral you're building or you're throwing that brick at the very thing you're trying Come to build on, with the man. wrong decision. Come on, right? bro. It's one or the so other. good. And then um, the third one, multiply by time. And time is something we never can can get back, get more of. Everybody's a lot of the same amount. But the way you use it and the way you wade through it, peaks and valleys, matters. Really matters. There's a fourth thing, though, I'm going to add because you, man, it lifts off the pages, bro, in the book. Um, gratitude. Your level of gratitude throughout, man, was so um, expressive. Yeah. You know how you read certain things that, uh, particularly nonfiction, when you read nonfiction sometimes, it doesn't have the same, you know, feeling to it, right? But your expression of gratitude about the simple things, your car and your wife. Yeah, you're man. like, man, to have a car and a wife. Bro, you're like, oh, this is great. <laughs> right? Your mom's your mom's cooking when you yeah, came home from prison, so right? Good. I mean, no, you were so, so good. You, oh my God, you were so grateful, man. Talk just... Maybe just let's just close on that. Talk about the yeah. importance of gratitude through this journey of comeback. So, so this is an important part of the conversation. And, and before you write this off, if you're listening to this, and before you write this off as just another gratitude list or, or oh, here we go, they're going to uh, attitude of, of gratitude. I've heard it a million times. Just, just hear me out for a minute. Gratitude reminds us that what we have is enough, but even more important than that, that you are enough. Mm. And so I choose gratitude even when it's hard. And this is why, because it is, it's really hard to be angry and grateful at the same time. It's really hard to be full of resentments and grateful at the same time. It's really hard to manipulate other people and be grateful at the same time. And so I just choose every single day and I I have a practice of it. I practice cultivating gratitude, even when it's hard, even when I don't want to. It's it's actually most important when I don't want to. And so gratitude is something that I will continue to do for the rest of my life because you get the best version of Nate when I'm I'm grateful. If you want to find the best version of you, be grateful for what you have. Amen. Amen. Brother, we, we're going to close on that one, man. So, so one, congrats on the book. Congrats on the journey. Congrats on taking everything you have and 
transparently and while pushing through the imposter syndrome, being vulnerable so people can access it and have these takeaways. And uh, the Quilling Solution audience, I'm just going to replay these three things that he said in terms of three things to do to start your comeback. Clear vision of your future, where you want to go in your life. And he he put some questions out there. So you can rewind and listen to those questions. Two, the decisions that you make each and every day should be contributing towards that vision. And then three, multiply it by time. Be consistent. Wait, 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 and be consistent. Nate Dukes, man, thank you so much for joining the Coiling Solution, brother. Hey, thank you so much. This was amazing. I'm so thankful to be here, bro. You are informed, empowered, and can now be accountable. What were some of your takeaways from this episode? I always enjoy hearing from you, so please share. Additionally, if you have questions, hear some things that are new to you, or need some clarity on some of those things, I am here to serve. Go to our website at thecorlingsolution.com slash podcast. Right below the show notes, you'll see a comment section. Tell me about some of your takeaways from the episode. You can ask your questions. You can mention challenges in the areas that we cover or tell me about guests you'd love to hear from. Alternatively, you can do the same through social media channels of Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Thank you as always for linking up and I look forward to seeing you next episode.